بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد لعلك باخع نفسك ألا يكونوا مؤمنين وقال تعالى وما آتاكم الرسول فخذوه وما نهاكم عنه فانتهوا وقال تعالى ومن يطع الرسول فقد أطاع الله صدق الله العظيم Dear brothers, uh, nice to be in your midst today. Unfortunately, I don't know Bangla yet. It's been a very long time. I think I need to sit uh, more. I need to actually visit uh, places like uh, Bishnath and Alipur and Jagannathpur and Gulafganj and all of these places. Then maybe I'll pick up some Bangla, inshallah, then I can speak to you, inshallah. So, I'm going to have to use English. My apologies, because you probably don't understand Gujarati anyway. See, the Prophet ﷺ, that's what we've gathered here to discuss, the Prophet ﷺ. And generally around this time of the year, there's many, many Sira programs discussing the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ departed this world and he passed away on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awwal, which was last week. The Prophet ﷺ was born around these days. It's not agreed upon, maybe on the 9th, maybe on the 12th, maybe another date. That's not 100%, but on the 12th he passed away. The Prophet's father passed away before the Prophet was born. After the Prophet was conceived, he was conceived in the month of Rajab. And then the Prophet passed away. Now the Prophet it was a very special occasion. Everything was especially chosen and selected for the Prophet. Nothing was random, nothing was arbitrary. With the Prophet ﷺ, there was a, a design, a planning, right from before. Makkah Mukarramah had been chosen from eternity as being the place. Do you know that many centuries before that, Ibrahim ﷺ was told to go from the Sham area and take his wife, Haj, uh, take his wife Hajar ﷺ and drop her in Makkah Mukarramah, where there was absolutely no inhabitation. There was nothing. And then you know the story which you hear every year during Eid. She had her son Ismail السلام, who was born at an old age for Ibrahim السلام, and he was left there and the Zamzam well came up and that whole story. All of that preparation is being made and the Prophet then is born among the children of Ibrahim السلام, through Ismail You have the Quraysh. And among them, you have the best tribe is chosen for the coming of the Prophet Makkah Mukarramah and Medina Munawwara, which was Yathrib at the time, that area, the Hijaz, the Arabian Peninsula, that part of it especially, had never been colonized. You had the Persian Empire on one side, huge Persian Empire at the time, uh, with the Khosros, the Kisra, 
And on the other hand, you had the Roman Empire with the Caesar. So they were, but no place, no, no, no dynasty, no organization, no ruling party, nobody had been able to colonize these people. They were in their own right, their own tribes, and they had their own issues that were taking place. They had their own trends, they had their own culture, they had their own language. There was a reason that this place was chosen. The people of Makkah Mukarramah, there's a few reasons why that place was chosen. One of the reasons could be that it has a very, very harsh climate. It gets 40 degrees and over sometimes. It's desert. So that's one of the reasons. Why choose these people? Islam had to spread through da'wah. A da'i, meaning the one who goes to propagate the faith and who goes to do da'wah and who goes to spread, he has to be able to survive anywhere. If you can survive in the deserts of Arabia, you could probably survive anywhere. I don't know about now, because now it's all the air conditioning and the five-star designer stuff everywhere now. But in those days, that's how it was. If you could live in Arabia, you could live anywhere in the world and you could propagate. So that was one of the reasons. The other reason, there's many reasons, but the other reason is the Arabs, even though they were never colonized by, by anybody, they were actually, one of the reasons why people left them alone is because they were considered to be just wild, tribal people, right? With no civilization, just tribal mentality, right? Killing one another, fighting with one another. The sword is, uh, well, that was the case in many places in the world, the sword is what worked in those places. But the one thing that they were very, very, very proud of was their language. What do you mean by their language? What was so good about their language? Arabic, which is the best of languages, is one of the most nuanced and most comprehensive languages. It has so many words for a single thing. So if you want to explain something and there's a slight difference, there will be another word for it. Whereas in English, it's the same word for everything, or in other languages for that matter. Actually, English is quite comprehensive as well, but Arabic is extremely comprehensive. For things like the goat or the sheep or the lion, they have tens of words. For love, the stages of love, all the way from the beginning to intense love, they have about 28 words to, to, to tell you and to uh, define each of the stages of love, starting from inclination, obsession, uh, and, and so on. It's a very comprehensive language. That's why they call it Arab. And the, the Arab, the, 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 the meaning of Arab, comes from the idea of being able to, do, uh, to, to articulate yourself, to say what's in your mind in a way that's clear, lucid. People will understand in a comprehensible manner. So for a da'i, for a da'wah, to give da'wah, you need good language. In fact, they used to consider all the other people of the world ajam. That's what they refer to the rest of the world as ajam. Ajam means dumb, somebody who cannot articulate themselves. So the Arabic language is very, very profound. So that's why this special place was chosen. Now, if we go even more specifically, the Prophet's father, Abdullah, he had many, many brothers. He had many brothers, about 10 or so brothers. Only four of them remained after the Prophet ﷺ became a prophet. That was Abu Lahab, Abu Talib, and then Hamza and Abbas anhum. Only four remained. All the others had died, including the father of the Prophet ﷺ. But the best of the names among all the brothers was Abdullah, as opposed to Abdul Kaaba, Abdul Uzza, and things like that. Abu Talib and Abu Lahab, that was their title. Their real names were Abdul Kaaba, Abdul Uzza, things like that. 
So Abdullah, the servant of Allah, that's the name chosen for his father. Now, this is not random. The name chosen for, they had some really strange names in those days. But the name chosen for his mother was Amina. Comes from the concept of Aman, which means safety, security, peace. So his mother, that's where you get the peace and the security. The name itself is special. Not only that, you have everybody related to him. He is then sent, and I'll tell you the story later. He is then sent to Halima radiallahu anha who feeds him milk. She is the wet nurse. Her name is Halima. Halima comes from the concept of hilm, which means prudence, forbearance, clemency, patience. All of this and seriousness, all of these meaning come from Halima. So he gets milk from her, mashallah. Then after that, the midwife who gave, who helped give Amina birth to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Her name was Shifa, Shifa, Shifa binti Amr ibn Auf. Can you believe it? Her name is Shifa, which means cure. Even that is a special chosen name. I think it's not random. Then after that, when the Prophet was with his mother Amina, as Hazrat mentioned the story, and she'd taken him to her homeland, and then she passed away, the person that took care was uh, the, the, uh, her servant, and her name was Baraka, mm -hmm. blessing. So she looked after the Prophet for a while. Her name was Baraka, blessing. Mm -hmm. Right? Growth. Baraka means blessing and growth. Her title was Ummu Ayman. Her name was Baraka, but her title was Ummu Ayman, the mother of Ayman. Ayman comes from the concept of human, fortune, the right hand side, fortune in general. Everything is especially chosen. He is born in Makkah, which is the best of cities, which is the best of places. One salat in Makkah is how, 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 many, how many reward? A hundred thousand. In three days, how much reward you're going to get? 1.5 million rewards. Because in five prayers in one day, you get 500,000 times three. That's 1.5 million rewards. You probably never thought about it like that. Stay in Makkah for three days, you get 1.5 million rewards. Everything is specially chosen. The Zamzam well, which we spoke about when Ismail salam and Hajar, they had found it. That... Before the time of the Prophet many, many years before that, it had been lost. It had been sanded over. Right? The grandfather of the Prophet Abdul Muttalib, he saw a dream and then he eventually dis rediscovered it. So it's in the family of the Prophet The name given to the Prophet is Muhammad and Ahmad. Again, that's a special name. Not many people were called Muhammad before. But now there was this idea that when uh, the, 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 there will be a special person whose name will be Muhammad. So that name was given, I believe, by the grandfather of the Prophet Muhammad, because the father wasn't there. Abdullah had passed away already. Muhammad means the most praised one, the one who's praised abundantly, frequently by others. Muhammad. Uh, Muhammad is praised by Allah, he's praised by the angels, he's praised by the creation, and he has been praised by the creation from even before. He is praised in the earlier books, he's mentioned in the earlier books, and he's been praised throughout. Right now, at any given time, 
he is being spoken about and he is being praised. People are saying, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there's an adhan that's taking place. Somebody's making salat and then they're saying, At-Tahiyyatulillah, and then he's saying, Assalamu Alayka Ayyuhan Nabiyyu wa Rahmatullah. There are just so many ways Allah has raised his mention. Somebody may want to criticize him, but he is being praised at that one criticism that may come about as there has been throughout history. People have criticized him, unfortunately, but he has always been praised. Praise the praise of the Prophet ﷺ completely outweighs any of the criticism that he has received, that he will receive. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect him. Amen. All of this was very, very special. Amina anha then says that when she was pregnant with the Prophet ﷺ, she didn't even feel it. The only thing she actually noticed was that her menstruation had stopped. That's how she did, otherwise it was the easiest pregnancy that, you know, when you compare it to others, it was that no morning sickness, nothing like that. When the Prophet ﷺ was born, it's mentioned that he was born and he fell on the ground, he was on the ground, on, uh, on his hands, looking up at the heavens. He was circumcised, the, uh, the spinal cord was cut, and there, there was uh, no other dirt. In, in that sense. A very, very special birth. Now, at that time, there were a number of incidents that took place around the world. So if you go many, uh, a few, a few, several hundred to a thousands of miles away towards the west, uh, towards the east actually, there was the Persian Empire, which I mentioned earlier. They were fire worshippers. They no longer remained there, they came to India, the Parsis, now they're called Parsis, they're in India right now. So. They used to worship fire, and they were very old civilization. The Persian Empire was a very, very old civilization, right? One of the very superpowers of the world at that time, you can say, right? Had a lot of pomp and glory. They had a, they had a fire there, their god, which had to be specially looked after. And they had looked, looked after it so well for about a thousand years that fire had never gone off. It's probably one of the longest sustained fires in the world, because they had literally hundreds of attendants looking after it day and night to look after this fire to make sure it did not go off. When the Prophet ﷺ was born, regardless of all of their caretakers, everybody looking after it to see what it went off. Now, another really interesting thing that happened is that in those days, like today as well, there's a lot of, there were a lot of soothsayers, fortune tellers, clairvoyants, astrologers, people who try to tell the future using different means. There's like 50, 60 different ways that people tell the future or think they know what the future is. Right? Even those people, even though they're completely batil, they talk to shayateen, they talk to jinn, and you know, there's a lot of uh, lies in what they say. Even they found out about the birth of the Prophet and they were happy about it. That's a really strange idea that they completely, but even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show that even though they have false means, but the Prophet is so truthful and so much of haq that even they spoke the truth at that time and, and they, they, got, they got excited at that time. Number of other things that happened, the heavens, nobody could go up there anymore afterwards. That's eventually because uh, the shaitans used to go up and listen to the angels, that, that stopped. A number of cosmic changes took place or the coming of the Prophet Now let me just tell you one incident, we have a short amount of time, just to highlight to you how much the Prophet was chosen in every single sense. I mean, just from the names to... Uh, there was a tradition among the people in the city of Makkah that their newborns, the infants, after a few days or something, they would actually send them out to the, the Bedouin villages. Because the air was better there, it was a purer place, language was good and purer. So they would send them out for several months, maybe a year, two years, or however long it was. 
And that was really interesting. I don't know if you would do that today, where you just give your child up for maybe several months, let somebody else give them milk. You know, that's, uh, I don't think people would do that today, but this is a tradition, right? So Halima Sa'diya radiallahu anha. In fact, her name is Halima Sa'diya. Sa'd also means fortune. Right? It's just goodness and fortune and uh, beauty everywhere you go. She said she came with a group of uh, women from her community to look for children. Like this was the time of the year that they would come and they would find a child and they would take it. What benefit would they get? They would be paid, they would get a gift from, uh, they were in the villages. This Makkah Mukarramah was a city, people used to come there. So they were probably more prosperous people. So she said, I came and my animal that I was on, it was, we were always trying to catch up. We were always at the back. It was a very, very weak animal, emaciated animal. We were always trying to catch up, and I kept saying, you know, wait, 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 let me catch up, and so on. When we came to Makkah Mukarramah, we went around, and all the women, they found a child. They found an infant, a baby, so that they could take him back home to feed them. I couldn't find anybody. Now, we'd seen the Prophet but nobody had taken him because his father had died. He was an orphan. And if, you, if the father has died, then where are you going to get a gift from? The mother's not going to be able to give you much. The expectation was from the father, so nobody had taken him. So Halima says that I thought, you know what? I don't have any other child. I'll just take him. I don't want to go back empty-handed. So I'll take this child. So she went and agreed with them and took Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She also already had children of her own. There was a drought in her community. There was a drought there, there was hardly any rain, and they were suffering. Crops were suffering, animals were suffering, because they were, uh, it, there's, not, there's nothing to eat. So the animals are suffering, there's not much milk they're able to provide, and so on. She takes him, and she gets onto her animal, and she, with the rest of them, they leave town. And suddenly, all of these changes start taking place. Her animal is now the strongest animal. She's able to go ahead. And everybody else is saying, Allah risliki, Allah risliki, like, wait up. What's happened? What kind of an animal you have now? He was racing to catch up. You had an old Datsun banger car at the beginning, and now, mashallah, you know, you're like in a Ferrari. You're going ahead. Uh, and everybody was wondering, like, what are you feeding this? What's happening? She says that when we got home, she said, my, uh, I was able to, f until now, I wasn't able to feed my children properly, right? Because it was all dry, and I couldn't produce enough milk. Now, mashallah, I was able to fully uh, feed my own children and feed the Prophet My animals would go out to graze and they would come back and they became mashallah fat and healthy and everybody else's animals They were suffering because there was a drought They would come to me and say that where is this secret location that you are sending your animals to graze? You know, where is this green pastures that you have our animals are suffering and it was the barakah of the Prophet To such a degree that when it time came now to give the uh, the, the children back she had so much barakah in her house and in her family that she decided that they went and made another agreement that I want to keep them for a bit longer. Mm. Now what happens is that after a short a while her, uh, the, her children, they suddenly see the Prophet ﷺ at the back somewhere and he's been pushed down onto the ground and there's two men, individuals, that have basically performing an open heart surgery. These were the two angels that washed his heart, and they were obviously very fearful as to what was happening. And then so she, they came, told the mother, when, he, when she came back, they found the Prophet ﷺ, and his face had just changed color, but uh, that, now she became worried. So she took him back to Makkah Mukarram and says, I want to return. He says, why do you want to return? Just now you wanted extension. Right? He said, 
um, she didn't want to exactly mention it, but then eventually Amina radiallahu Amina, she said she made it very clear. She says that there can be no evil influence on him. Yeah. And then she mentioned how her experience had been during her pregnancy and so on. She had full conviction. She, he stayed with his mother for a short while and then his mother passed away. And then his grandfather took over, he passed away. And then after that, his uncle took over Abu Talib, and that was until the tenth year. Uh, uh, that that was until the tenth year after the prophecy, and then he passed away. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was specially in all of these things. That that's that's what happened with him. Now I'll give you. Um, there's a famous poem called the Qasida Burda. Right. It's a really interesting story the way it was written. But when I was reading it, there's one phrase in there where he says. He compares the Prophet ﷺ to many things. And he compares him to the other Prophets. And he says that the other Prophets, compared to the Prophet ﷺ, are just like the symbols compared to the actual wording. Now what does that mean? You see, in English, when you, when you write English, we have vowels. A-E-I-O-U. That's how you make sounds with the uh, other letters, the consonants you have. The vowels, A-E. Now, A-E-I-O-U, they take the same amount of space as B-C-D-E. In Arabic, though, the vowels are symbols. They're just little signs. Fatha, kasra, dhamma, zabar, zirpish. Right? That's why in Arabic, you can actually write much smaller. Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam is written much smaller in, in Arabic than in English. Right? So, this is what he said. He said that... The other prophets are like the symbols, and the Prophet Muhammad is like the actual wording. That's a comparison he's making. We're not even on the page. The prophets are greater than any other human being except the Prophet in general. But he's saying that even a comparison among the prophets, with the prophets and the Prophet there's no comparison. He is like the alif, ba, ta, tha, jim, ha, kha, the actual wording, and they are just like the fatha, kasra, dhamma. He's not denigrating them, he's just showing the superiority of the Prophet When I read that, I said, this is an exaggeration. When I first read it, I thought, this is an exaggeration. Poets exaggerate, right? Poets, poetry allows for exaggeration. Poetry allows for exaggeration. Poetry is the highest form of expression in any language. So if you look in Urdu, we have some amazing poetry. In, in Arabic, we have some amazing poetry. I've not heard much Bangla poetry, but I'm assuming there must be some great poetry there. But in English, we're still struggling, right? Because now we are living in a visual time where you just watch, you don't write, right? Poetry is the highest expression. So. When he said this, I said, this is exaggeration. So I thought about it, read some of the commentaries, and you start looking. And you realize that it's not an exaggeration at all. The Prophet ﷺ is not just higher than everybody else. He's higher than the prophets. Far higher. Especially selected, even among. The prophets are higher than everybody else. But Prophet Muhammad ﷺ is higher than the other prophet. That was not an exaggeration. It probably is an underestimate. Now, I'll just give you one thing that comes to mind to show how the Prophet is so much greater. He has been where nobody else has been. He has been where others have dreamt to be, have asked to be, have wished to be, but he wasn't, but, but couldn't get there. And he's done that. He's, what's happened to him and what he has experienced has not happened to anybody else, has not gifted to anybody else. One example, if you look at Sahih Muslim, 
Kitabul Iman, there's a section in there about the Mi'raj, about the ascension. You know the story of the Mi'raj. Okay? The Prophet is taken up with Jibreel on the Burak from here to Jerusalem and from there he goes up to the heavens. You know the story. When they get to the first heaven, the angel, the guardian, who's there, says, Who is it? He said, Jibreel, who's with you? Muhammad, has he been invited? Has he been invited? An exclamation of wonderment. Wow, has he, been ex ex has he been invited? You could read it as, Has he been invited? Has he got a ticket? You, know, you could read it like that. But the better way to read it is, Has he been invited? SubhanAllah, wonderful. So he gets permission. On the first heaven, he sees Adam alayhi salam. He meets Adam alayhi salam. Marhaban bibn salih. Welcome, O righteous son. On the second one, he meets Isa alayhi salam. On the third one, he meets Aiyah. Yes, Yusuf alayhi salam on the third one. On the fourth one, is Ilyas. Or Ilyas alayhi salam. Oh, it's Idris. Idris salam. And then on the next one, the fourth one, he meets Harun alayhi salam. On the fifth one, no, sorry, sorry. Fourteenth. No, uh, fifth one is Harun. Harun. Sixth one okay. is Musa alayhi salam. And then he meets Ibrahim alayhi salam on? Last. On the top one, the last one, the seventh one. Now the story, you know, then he carries on, he goes beyond there. Jibreel alayhi salam is coming with him. Jibreel alayhi salam has been to these areas, he's taking him. He says, now this is really interesting. He gets to a place where he says, we got to the Sidrat al-Muntaha. This is the most extreme lot tree. There's up there in the heavens is a special tree called the Lot tree. Huge branches and its roots go down into the seven heavens, but its branches are above the second, seventh heaven. And he said, when I got there, I was given a show. A special show was put on for me. He says, I saw Farash, Min Dhahab. I was put a show, flying objects, most likely the angels. But he says that the, the spectacle that was put on for me, the show, whatever it was, the demonstration, no person, no words can articulate it. Mm. Now that's really strange. The Prophet ﷺ is the most articulate individual. Arabic is a very comprehensive language to start with. The Prophet ﷺ is one of the most comprehensive speakers. He was given jawami'ul kalim, comprehensive statements where he could say so much in a few words. Amazing ability to choose the words, right? But he says nobody can put this in words. The experience was amazing. What was that experience? Well, you're, in para you're, you're up there in the heavens. I believe it was some kind of 4D, 5D, 6D experience. Now, today we look at 2D objects. If you, you, got, you get those glasses and you watch a 3D uh, experience, and then you have a 4D experience where they, they put air on you and they uh, maybe pinch you, and they, so then you feel like you're really part of it, all right? That's 4D. This, I believe, was an experience that you don't just see with your eyes or just hear with your ears. I believe, this is just my idea, that you're experiencing it with every pore of your body. You're in it and you can't express that. You have to experience it to understand that. Nobody else has had that experience. Then he carries on to many other places and then he gets to a place where Jibreel says, I can't come with you anymore. You have to go alone. I'm, I'm, I don't have authorization beyond this. The Prophet Muhammad has been, forget where any other human being has been, he's gone where any other angel has not been. Now, is there any comparison? There's no comparison. That what, uh, what the Qasida Burda says is not an exaggeration. Right? It's the reality if it's not an under, because they, he doesn't know right, what the real reality of the Prophet is. 
what's really interesting when he gets to that position, he suddenly hears, it's nothing. I don't know what experience he must have. It's nothing. It's beyond the universe, right? He's going to meet with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mentions in one narration that he heard the voice of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. Now that tells you many things. That Abu Bakr as-Siddiq is very special for the Prophet sallallahu When you're in a strange place, if you have a familiar voice, it makes you feel less estranged. Makes you feel a bit more familiar. Maybe that's why Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, his voice uh, was heard there. He meets with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many of the Sahaba, majority, I would say, the stronger opinion is that he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Others say he just, he saw a light and that's where they leave it. And the minority say he didn't see Allah. The minority say that. There's only two, generally two, uh, that it's related from. But the, the stronger opinion, he saw Allah. How? Allah knows best. Right? When he came back, he was given the 50 prayers. That was the time when he was given 50 salat. So when he gets back onto the sixth heaven, Musa Islam stops and says, what did your Lord give you? He said, 50 prayers. So you know the, the story then. He sent him back. He says, your ummah can never do 50 prayers. May Allah thank Musa Islam for us. You can't do 50 prayers. So he went back to Allah, 45, 40, and it went down until five. Musa Islam still said, go back. <laughs> even, at, even at five, he said, no, now I feel a bit embarrassed. Right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that's fine. Ma qawlu ladayi. Right? Um, whatever I said first, you're going to get the reward of the 50, just do five. You will get the reward of the 50. One opinion is that why did Musa keep sending him back? Yes, maybe he had compassion for this ummah as well. But some ulama say, again, this is just the interesting point. He had wanted to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rabbi arini anzur ilayk. Oh my Lord, let me see you. But Allah says, lan tarani. You cannot see me. Right? So now... He kept wanting to see the eyes that had seen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he had that frequency of that meeting, kept sending Musa. And again, this is not in a hadith, this is just an interesting point. And the Prophet comes back. So now, this is the Prophet You can probably, in your whole life, we probably wouldn't be able to accomplish everything about the Prophet There are some very simple, straight facts. Badr happened during this time, and Uhud uh, happened this time, and Khandak, and conquest is this time, and the Prophet did this many Umrahs, and Hajj, and so on. But in terms of his personality, in terms of trying to understand what he said, and how far-reaching that is, and everything else, it will take you a lifetime to try to understand that. I'll give you uh, why I'm saying this, is that how many of us have actually read a book of seerah after we've grown up? You may have read one in maktab time when you had a, you know, the teacher taught you maybe some seerah. But how many of us have picked up a book in its entirety and read in any language whatsoever to learn about the Prophet I had a friend, when I was in America, I had a friend uh, who had just come from Bosnia after the Bosnian War. In the 90s, after the Bosnian War, so this is around 2001 and 2, he was in my community. And, you know, people in Bosnia at that time didn't know much about their faith, right? Because they'd been secularized. You know, there's quite a few struggles in the Balkans like that. So, he said, I want to learn about the Prophet So I had a few books of Sirah, I gave him one. I go, here, read this. He read it. He said, give me another book on Sirah. I said, you've just read one. He says, there's no way, and he taught me a lesson. He says, there's no way that you can actually learn about any, any, anything or any individual by reading just one book. Because that one book gives you his perspective. 
As I said, the facts, the specific few facts, they're the same. But in terms of what you can learn from the life of the Prophet the different things that he did and he said, that is something that every reader will give you different perspective. And you can keep writing seerahs for the rest of your life. People can keep writing and unearthing. That's why every seerah book is different. Right? So the only way you're going to learn about the Prophet is by reading more than one book by listening to more than one lecture series by the various different ulama, right? The long series to take out how, why should we learn about the seerah? Because he's our role model. That's who we should be learning from. I believe if more people started reading the seerah, there would be a lot less problems in the world. Today, one of the issues why people don't like, uh, people don't like Muslims, one of the reasons, is because, or they, they don't like Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, na'udhu billah, is because, it's not because they went and saw Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, or seen what he's done, or that he's done something bad to them, is because we claim to be representing him, but we do bad things. So they think that this is a reflection of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We're the only ones who can actually change that by telling people. So we get very angry when they then make a comic about him where they make a cartoon about him, when they criticize him, when they say something bad about him. But really the way to give that one to tell them, because you can't force them to read a book on the seerah, is to actually act the act. The best balance and equilibrium that you will find in anyone is in the Prophet That's why we should learn from him directly by reading his seerah. i give you a simple example. Let's just say somebody came in today. And they just walked in with their boots. They walked in and then they started urinating on the side. I mean, would you get, you're in charge here, right? What would you say to him? You'd probably get angry first. I mean, yeah. Would you remember this hadith of the Prophet mm. that when somebody came in and started urinating, the Sahaba ran to stop him and the Prophet said, leave him, leave him. SubhanAllah, why would you do that? Now I want to think, and this story is famous, you probably know this story. The Prophet said, stop, leave him. La like stop, don't, don't disturb him. He's already started urinating. If you stop somebody in the middle of urination, that's harmful. How can you think about that? How can you get to that level of compassion? Okay, he shouldn't have done it. But since he's doing it already, leaving, we can just put some water over it. How are you so particular to think about this when there's so much pressure on you. If somebody does that, you're going to get angry. So your anger comes out. But the Prophet is calm. And he says, no, don't do that. Then he called him and he explained to him. Then he called him and he explained to him. The ability to be controlled in pressure environments. SubhanAllah, you will learn that from the Prophet And most of our problems today is because we say something silly under pressure. You get a bit angry and you say something, talaq, talaq, talaq. The Prophet had nine wives at once. Hazrat was talking about the, the marriage, right? I couldn't understand all the beautiful words, but I got some of it, I think, right? So, the Prophet had nine wives, and he dealt with all of them in justice. With justice, with compassion, with love, with care, saying that I am the best of you to my wives. And one of the reasons is because I am the best in character. Character is self-control. And that's what we're going to learn from the Prophet ﷺ, is self-control. You read about these things. For example, there was one of the scholars, his son passed away. So on that day, he's hardly seen smiling. But on this day, when his son passed away, he's seen smiling. Why are you smiling today? 
Right? Why are you smiling on the day your son has, has passed away? He said, I'm practicing rada bil qada. I'm sh- trying to show that I'm satisfied with Allah's decrees so or making an extra effort. Now that's a very pressure time to think about that. The Prophet wasallam, though, what is his sunnah? He is invited to his grandson, his grandchild, who's about to die. First he says, look, um, for Allah is whoever he, uh, Allah gives and Allah can take. Yeah, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he takes whoever he wants. Then when his daughter insisted that he come, he went. And he held the child and then he started weeping. So the Sahaba that were around him, some of the big Sahaba who were around him, they got surprised. Why are you crying? Because you told us that you shouldn't lament. And he says, yeah, that's lamenting. That's different. But he says, this is rahmah. You can do that. Can you see how he lets his emotion come when it's, when it's, when, when it's appropriate? He didn't say, no, 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 I'm going to act like some kind of stoic you know, uh, philosopher or individual that I'm not going to say anything. You're allowed to weep and let that emotion out because that's human being. Prophet ﷺ was the perfect, absolute perfect human that showed how to be the perfect human being, the perfect slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Sahaba learned from him. Now, I had a friend, he's a convert from America. He's a convert, he went to Turkey, he studied, he came back. Now, he was in Arizona, in one of the towns in Arizona, I can't remember if he was in Tucson or in Phoenix, one of the two towns. And he used to wear a pagri, an imama. Now in London, it's, you can wear pagri, you can wear imama, you can wear niqab, nobody's going to say anything to you, right? It's casual. But in many towns where there's nobody wearing that, you're the only one wearing a turban. Imagine that. In that Phoenix, and it's very hot there. Right? It's very hot there as well. He used to wear a turban. Another Muslim came to him and said, why do you wear this thing for? Is it necessary? Why do you wear it? I don't know, sometimes people feel a bit guilty or something, so they try to challenge you, like, why are you eating, you know, why are you doing this for? The answer was amazing. He said, brother, I don't know how to explain to you. It's such a personal thing. Now think about this. It's a very personal thing. The best man I know is the Prophet He's the best that Allah has created. He's the most beloved of Allah. He used to wear a turban, so I wear one. Like, how can I explain that to you? He didn't tell him it's fard, wajib, sunnah, mustab. No, he just said, this is what I feel. This is what I want to emulate. What do I tell you? How do I explain that to you? I can't give you that, you know, that, that same zeal. Right? That's very important. That's why all the sunnahs of the Prophet ﷺ, we must try to follow. It's difficult to follow all of them straight away. But what you want is start off with an ambition. That before I pass away, in every subsequent day and month and year, I want to become more closer to the Prophet ﷺ than I've been before. So you start reading, start reading Riyadh al-Sari and Hadith, you start learning from the ulama, different sunnahs. You start with the more important ones, and you do as many as you can. If you can't do it today, don't justify it. A lot of people, they come and they say, uh, Sheikh, can you tell us the hukam of the beard? Is it wajib? Is it fard? Is it just sunnah? What is it? The Shafi say it's, uh, they have two views and, and all of this. I don't answer the question. I say, look, the Prophet ﷺ had a really nice beard. And that's why I keep on. You can't keep on today because maybe your wife complains that it itches, right? Or for whatever reason, then intend to keep it tomorrow. Don't justify. Don't look for a fatwa. 
Allah. That you know, it's not necessary or it's not fard or it's not this or it's not that and then for the rest of your life you've just stumped your growth. Wouldn't you want to be closer to the Prophet before we die so to extend our chances to be in his company, to be given to drink from his hand, to gain his intercession, to gain his company in the paradise, you know, something to ex just expand our chances. See, the Sahaba were on a different level. <laughs> Abdullah ibn Umar is famous about him that he would even try to find the exact places when going from Makkah Mukarramah, Medina Munawar to Makkah Mukarramah where the Prophet had stopped where he had even relieved himself, he tried to remember that, he tried to exactly go to those places. It's not necessary to do that. That's not fard. The Prophet didn't even tell him to do that. But he just felt, he's the best man, I'm going to follow whatever he does, that's why I feel it's good. Try to find out as much as you can and then try to follow as much as you can. This is what I will suggest as a final point. Many, many stories about uh, following the Prophet But just please don't justify. Say, I can't do it today, inshallah, I'm going to do tomorrow. And Allah will give you the tawfiq to do tomorrow. Okay? for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.